We are on Yevamos Kuf Yud Ches Amebez 118b, as we are on the last page of the second to last parak, the second to last chapter of Yevamos. And after this, we will have the last parak left, just the last chapter. So we have two Mishnayos on this page. Uh, the first Mishnah is another dispute between Rabbi Tarfon and Rabbi Kiva. It's a different topic, totally different topic. The reason why it's mentioned is because of the dispute between Rabbi Tarfon and Rabbi Kiva, and also a line that's mentioned by Rabbi Kiva, which is similar to a line that he has in the previous Mishnah. Uh, but it's really a, a seemingly a, a different issue. The Mishnah says as follows, Kiddish achas Kiddish. A person has a halachic engagement, the first step of the process of marriage, um, where they get engaged, uh, which is through the giving of a ring or a document. Um, and he, he gets engaged to one of five women, and he forgot which one he got engaged to. And each one, and each one says, it was me. It was me. And he doesn't want to stay married to... Um, and that they're not related. He could have he could have just stayed married to all of them if he wanted to. He doesn't want to stay married to any of them. So he's only married to one of them. He doesn't want to get married to any of them. So no sin get lekol achas vachas. He has to give a divorce document to each of them because it's one of the five. He doesn't know which one. He has to give a divorce document to each one. That everybody agrees with. However, what happens to the ksuba money? He has to he has to give the ksuba money that he promised to. Somebody, he has to seemingly to somebody. So what does he do with it? Uh, so there's, this is the dispute. Uh, according to Rabbi Tarfun, Rabbi Tarfun, Rabbi Tarfun says that it, because he only has to give one, he doesn't have to give to all five. He only got married to one of them. He just doesn't know which one. Um, and uh, nobody could prove it. They want the Ksuba money. So Rabbi Tarfun says there's a, there's a general principle of Hamotzi Mechaver Raya. If you think you deserve it, so then you have to bring proof that it's really yours. None of them have proof that it's theirs, that they were the ones who got who got married, who, who got engaged. And so therefore, he shouldn't benefit from it. He has to get the Ksuba money. But what he does is, is that he, the amount that he owes, he gives it to the court. Uh, the court holds on to it until until we know what to do with it. Uh, but the court holds on to it, and so therefore he gives it to the court. Uh, that's the position of Rabbi Tarfon. Rabbi Kiva argues, Rabbi Kiva Omer, Rabbi Kiva's of the opinion that he has to give uh, to each of the five. He has to give the super money to each of the five uh, because he uh, it's really a form of a penalty to him for getting married uh, to one of them and without and not even recognizing or realizing who he got married to. So as a penalty, we're going to say, you know what, you have to give, uh, we want to make sure that the one who you got married to, or really engaged to, uh, gets her ksuba money, receives her ksuba money. And so therefore, you have to pay all five. You have to pay all five of them. Similarly, case number two in the Mishnah, Gazal Gazal Omer Usi Gazal Let's say you steal from somebody, but you're not sure. It's one of five people that you stole from. You don't know which one. You forgot which one. So Bitarfun says, you don't have to pay all five all five people. What you do is you have to return the money to the court, to Beisdin, and then Beisdin will hold on to it until they know what to do with it. Again, based on the principle of Hamotzi Mechavera, Lavaraya, there's a principle that 
Um, if somebody owes you something, so then you have to bring proof. Nobody has proof, so therefore he doesn't have to pay all five. He just has to uh, give the money to court to the court because he owes somebody. We just don't know who he owes the money to, and so therefore um, the court holds on to it. Rukiva Omer Rukiva argues and says, He says, no, you have to pay all five. It's really a, a form of a knas, a form of a fine, and he has to pay all five people. The Gemara now uh, will explain that there's really there's really four cases to discuss, and we'll see this uh, in the Gemara. The mission discussed a halachic engagement, let's say with a ring or with a document. There's another form of an engagement, which is uh, you could get engaged by having sexual relations with uh, with your partner, and that's how that's how you could have a halachic engagement, the erusin, um, and even though. Uh, these are the Talmud, these are the Gemara, there would be separation between the engagement and the actual wedding where the engagement is, um, they're not living with each other, they're not in the same house, they're not having sexual relations with each other. And by the wedding, that's when they're living together under the same roof. Uh, but you can still have a halachic engagement through bia, through sexual relations. The rabbi said that that's an, it's, it's inappropriate and it's wrong to do that, even though um, conceptually it works and by, by the Torah level it works, the rabbis said that uh, you shouldn't do that, it's inappropriate. Um, and so what happens if there, there is um, an engagement that's done through sexual relations, so would that impact the law of, let's say he did it with one of five women, and he doesn't know which one, so then maybe Rabbi Tarfan would be more stringent in that case, to, or, or sorry, yeah, Rabbi Tarfan would be more stringent in that case to make sure that that since he, he, he actually had sexual relations with this person, that yeah, we should make sure that she gets her ksuba money because it's, uh, it's, a bit, it's more of a shame uh, to her. He doesn't even know who he married. And this causes a shame to her. And so therefore, maybe she, we should go out of our way to make sure that she actually gets it. And so therefore, he would have to pay all five in that case, even according to Rabbi Tarfim, potentially. Or there's another case, there's a fourth case of not where he stole... He didn't actively steal, but he paid for a product, um, and he has to pay for it. He bought a product. He still has to pay for it, but he forgot who he, who sold it to him. And so therefore, uh, in that case, maybe we'll have less – It will be it's viewed as less of a fine because he didn't actively steal. It's just he forgot who the seller was, um, but he didn't actively steal. So maybe we won't have a fine there, and maybe even in that case, Rabbi Kiva would be in the position that he has, he, do, he would not have to pay – all five. So that's really sort of, there's really four different cases to discuss, and this is what the Gemara is, is about to get into. So the Gemara says, Kiddish Katani Balo Katani, Gezel Katani, Katani. The Mishnah only mentions two out of the four cases. It mentions a regular engagement, but it doesn't mention an engagement that's through sexual relations. It mentions stealing. It doesn't mention a case where you bought a product, but you forgot to pay. So Mani Masnisin, who's the author of the Mishnah? Lo Tanakam of Lord Bishim Ben Lazar. It's not the Tanakama of the following Brisa, the first opinion of the following Brisa, and it's not Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar of the following Brisa. What does the following Brisa say? The Tanya, it's taught in a Brisa. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Omer, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says, "Lo nechal guru b'tam Rabbi Kivat shekidi al shekidish echas mechamish and nashim menodeya is a kidish shemnech subemene mustalek." They both agree. Everybody's in agreement according to Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar that if it's a regular engagement, so then, um, so then you don't pay everybody; you just give it to the court. Because uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to put this fine on you. The only time we have a fine that you have to pay everybody, according to Rabbi Kiva at least, 
is if you get engaged through sexual relations. So Rabbi Kiva says you need to make sure that everybody gets paid. Rabbi Tarfan argues. Rabbi Tarfan says that uh, you just have to you just have to give the ksuba money uh, to the court. Rabbi Kiva says you have to give it to everybody. In that case, you, you would have to give it to everybody. And he continues to say, Everybody agrees that in a case, according to Rabbi Shem everybody agrees that in a case where uh, he bought a product, but he hasn't paid them yet, and he forgot who sold it to him, so you don't have to pay everybody because it's not as bad as actively stealing. You just give it to the court. Um, the whole dispute is you stole from one of five people. You don't know which one. Rabbi Tarfan says you still just give it to the court. Rabbi Kiva says we put a fine on you. You have to pay everybody because you stole. You have to pay all five. So, so says the Gemara. He's arguing with the first opinion. What does he hold? He holds. Shimon ben Elazar holds that when it comes to um, a regular engagement through a ring or through a, a document, or when it comes to buying a product, everybody agrees that uh, that you don't have to pay everybody. The implication is that if the first opinion does argue and says as follows. Rashi explains and says that in a case of a regular engagement or in a case where you bought it, that's when they argue and they have a dispute. But in the cases um, of our Mishnah, or at least in some of the cases of our Mishnah, in a case where there's uh, an engagement through sexual relations or it's stolen, then according to the first opinion, he has the exact opposite opinion that says that that's when they don't argue and everybody agrees. Even Rabbi Tarfan would agree that you'd have to pay all five. That would be the position of the first opinion. Meaning, according to the first opinion of Rashim ibn Lazar, they both agree that in two cases there is no dispute, in two cases there is a dispute. In two cases there is no dispute. In the case where there's a regular engagement or uh, they bought uh, the product that they don't know who they owe money to, in both those cases everybody agrees that you just give it to the court. In the other cases they have this argument that according to Rabbi Kiva, there are certain cases where if you steal or you have engaged through sexual relations, then it's more severe and you have to pay everybody, all five. There's a fine that you pay all five. That's according to Rabbi Shimon According to the first opinion, according to the Tanakhama, it's the exact opposite. In the case of where you bought it, or um, or you're engaged through the regular way of, of through, with a ring or with a document, uh, so then in those cases, everybody agrees. Um, sorry, in those cases, that's when there's the argument, that's the dispute. But in the case where you stole, uh, where you're actively stealing, or in a case where you get engaged inappropriately through sexual relations, there even Rabbi Tarfan would agree that you have to pay all five. So they uh, they both um, hold that in two cases there's no dispute, in two cases there is a dispute. It's just a question of which ones. But in the end of the day, um, the, the Gemara's question is, money, who's the author of Mishnah? If it's, they're arguing according to the Tanakam, according to the first opinion, they should be arguing in a case of a regular engagement, which is fine, but the second case of the mission should be a case where uh, they bought uh, they bought a product and they don't know who the seller was. It's one of five people. That should be the case of the Mishnah. And Irib Shimon ben Lazar, 
And if it's according to Rosh Hashem so then it should be a case where they got engaged, not just any engagement, but an inappropriate engagement through sexual relations and stealing. So which one is it? So the Gemara answer is, Really it's Rosh Hashem And when our Mishnah says, my Kiddush, when the Mishnah says that they were engaged, it means Kiddush Babiyah. It means that they were engaged through Bia, through sexual relations, inappropriately. And the reason for this is, Tana Kiddush, why do we mention, this is just a separate question, why do we mention both cases, two of these cases, of an engagement through sexual relations and also through stealing? It's there to teach you, um, it's there to teach you that even in a case where it's only a rabbinic prohibition, when it comes to sexual relations, getting engaged inappropriately, that's only a rabbinic prohibition. Uh, and even so, Rabbi Kiva says you still have to pay all five. And it's there to teach you how far Rabbi Kiva would go. And it also teaches us the case of stealing, because stealing, that's a biblical prohibition to steal. And even so, Rabbi Tarfan would say that you do not have to pay all five in that case. In that case, you still have to just pay one, uh, the regular amount, and you would give it to the court uh, to hold on to. And that's why we have specifically those two cases. That's why we have those two cases. But at the end of the day, the Mishnah would be going according to Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. Okay, that is uh, the first Mishnah of this page. Now let's discuss the second Mishnah of this page. And this will also conclude, after we've com- finished the Gemara, it will conclude uh, this, uh, this chapter. Says the Mishnah. The Mishnah is basically, before we even get to the Mishnah, as a brief introduction, we'll discuss different cases where uh, a wife is traveling also with the husband, let's say, or with kids, or with a child. And so then she comes back and she testifies about what happened. And the general rule is that we believe her when, there's, when, she, when her testimony uh, fits with the status quo from what we assumed before she left, then she is believed. But if it goes against the status quo, so then we cannot believe her completely. What do I mean by that? So let's go through the cases. The Mishnah says, If they leave with a child... That means she is exempt from Yibam. And then when she comes back, she comes back and she says, you know what? My husband and my child, they both died, unfortunately. Terrible story. Uh, but my husband died first and then my child. So I'm still exempt from Yibam. We believe her. Because before she left, she was also exempt from Yibam because she had a child. So her testimony fits with the status quo from when before she left. So we will trust her. She could have just kept quiet. And we would just assume that her husband... Uh, or whatever it is, that she could have just said that her husband died um, and without mentioning anything about the child and she would have been able to get married. Uh, but now that she mentions the child, she still believes because it's maintaining status quo. However, if she says, if she says that my son died first and then my husband died and therefore I should be able to do yibum, that's what she's claiming, to marry my brother-in-law, which in general would be a prohibition, she's not believed. However, because she made the statement, we will say, you have to do chalitza. Because she's making the claim, we really don't believe her, but because she's making the claim that I have to do something, I claim that my son died and then my husband died, so she has to do something based on her own words, even though we don't believe her. So therefore, we tell her, go ahead and do chalitza. Go do chalitza and do not do yibam. Similarly, if she, if she left without any children, so therefore she should be doing Yibam. And then she comes back and she says, I had a child. 
while we were traveling. However, my child died first and then my husband died, so she's believed. Because before she left, the status quo was that if her husband died, she would be obligated in Yibam or Chalitza. Now that she came back and she says, you know what, I had a child, but the child died first, and then the husband died, so I should really do Yibam, she's believed. Keep status quo. However, if she says the opposite, if she says that my husband died first and then my child, I should be exempt from Yibam, we don't believe her. So because we don't believe her, we say, you know what, you have to do Chalitza, you're not allowed to do Yibam. Um, and and you would have to do you would have to do chalitza. We don't let her, even though she, uh, if without her testimony we would let her do yibum. But because of her testimony we don't let her do yibum, and she still has to do chalitza. That's all the first couple of cases. Next case, nitin li yavam If she makes the claim, we don't know that there's a brother-in-law. Before she left, the status quo was that she doesn't have to do yibum because there was no brother-in-law around. But then she says, you know what, my mother-in-law was also traveling with us. She had a child, so there is a brother-in-law in existence. However, if she makes the claim that, you know, the brother-in-law died, it's true my husband died, but my brother-in-law also died, so she's believed, because she's the one that's telling us that there's even a brother-in-law in existence. Status quo before she left was that she's, there is no Yibam. She then makes the claim, you know what, I had, my mother-in-law had a child, there's a brother-in-law. However, he died, so she's believed, because she's maintaining status quo. However, if she goes with her husband and there's a brother-in-law and then she travels assuming that the status quo is such that if the husband dies, she would be obligated in Yibam. And then she says, And then she says, you know what? My husband died and my brother-in-law died. She is not believed. Uh, she's not believed for that because uh, that's going against the status quo. The status quo was that she should be able to do Yibam. And then this is going against the status quo because uh, she's trying to make the claim that her brother-in-law died. And she's not believed for that. She's in fact not believed to say that the brother-in-law died, which is also interesting. This is a Gemara that we had earlier. Uh, a woman, a, a sister-in-law, even though she's believed to say that her husband died so that she could remarry, however, she's not believed to say that her brother-in-law died to say that uh, she could then marry anybody. Why not? We, if she's not believed, so then we have the same concerns that maybe she'll be in a guna the rest of her life. She won't be able to marry anybody. So the answer is, I think Mark explained this earlier, is because maybe the reason why she's saying this is, is there's a concern that she's really lying because she hates her brother-in-law and she wants to get out of Yibam. So maybe she's lying. Similarly, we won't believe her when she makes the claim that she's obligated for Yibam because maybe in that case she loves her brother-in-law because they have a relationship. Once they have this uh, type of relationship, it could either be uh, a relationship which she wants a relationship which she really doesn't want. So she could be lying in either direction. And so therefore, even though in general we would believe her to say that her husband died, and even if somebody else's husband died, but she won't be believed to say that her brother-in-law died. As the mission explains, she ain't She's not believed to say her brother-in-law died so that she can marry somebody else because maybe she's lying because she doesn't like her brother-in-law. She also cannot say that her sister died in general, let's say her sister's married to somebody, she can't get married to that brother-in-law. Um, but if her sister died, so then she could. She's not believed to say that her sister died so that she could then marry her, his, her sister's husband. And similarly, a person not also not believed to say that their brother died so that they could do Yibam because maybe he's lying because he likes his sister-in-law. And he's also not believed... Um, Oh, or sorry, in that case also, sorry, it's even more than that, because he's coming, 
We only believe one witness when it comes to to being an aguna, because you have nobody else you can marry. This guy can marry other people besides her sister-in-law. He can marry many people. He's also not believed to say that his wife died so that he could then marry his wife's sister. He's not believed in all of those cases. Okay, we're beyond the 20-minute mark, but let's just read the Gemara. The Gemara, there's a few lines in the Gemara, and then we will conclude this parak, this chapter. What happens in the following case? This is based on the Mishnah. There's a concept, there's a principle called I am allowed to acquire for somebody else something if it's to their benefit, to their objective benefit. So then I could acquire something for somebody else. If it's to their detriment, so then I cannot. So the question is, what happens if you have the following case? A person is on their deathbed, let's say. Uh, they're about to die and they know that the, the wife would have to then do Yibam or Chalitza and he doesn't want his wife to do Yibam or Chalitza his wife is not around could he give a divorce document to somebody else to accept the get the divorce document on her behalf so that it's viewed as <coughs> because maybe this is good for her because now she won't be able to have, be able to Yibam or do we say that no nobody could accept it on her behalf without her knowledge she didn't appoint this person to accept it, and she could if she, if she was aware, but she never was aware. She never appointed this person. Maybe she can't. Maybe it wouldn't work because it's really something she doesn't want. So Amarle he responds back. This is our Mishnah, Tanina. Um, it's our Mishnah. Our Mishnah basically said in both directions that uh, sometimes she really likes him, the brother-in-law. Sometimes she really doesn't. So therefore, it's it's not objective that. She really want, wants to get out of this Yibam type of relationship, so the get would not work. Because maybe she wants to, she wants to marry her brother-in-law. No, we just don't know. It's not something which is objectively beneficial to her to get divorced in this case, because maybe she wants to stay married so that she eventually does Yibam with the brother-in-law. So therefore the get would not work, the divorce document would not work, because maybe it is really uh, something that she doesn't want. Another question, Amalei Ravina Rava. Ravina now asks Rava, what about if a couple is in a very uh, very big dispute, an argument and fighting, and there's a, a breakdown of the marriage? What happens if, could the husband now give a divorce document to somebody else, not to his wife, his wife doesn't know about it, so that his wife gets divorced without her knowledge? Maybe it's beneficial for her to get divorced. Without her knowledge, do we say that that works or that doesn't work? If it's objectively beneficial for her, because there's really a complete breakdown, so then that should work. Somebody else could acquire something for her and could acquire the divorce document. Or do we say that no? And maybe she still wants to stay married, even though uh, there's a breakdown of the marriage and it's really not working out, but maybe there's still some advantage to staying married. So to this, the Gemara says something which is uh, a common, uh, common quoted idea that's found in the Gemara. The Gemara answers. Um, the Gemara answers. Tashma, the Amrish Lakish. Rish Lakish says, "Tav lemesav tandu, milemesav armelo." Rish Lakish says that uh, for a wife, it's better for women. It's better for them to stay married rather than be alone, and and uh, to be alone and to be single. And so she would rather stay married and have the companionship of her husband rather than being alone, even though there's a breakdown of the marriage. But she would prefer that, and so therefore. It wouldn't be objectively beneficial for her to get divorced. Obviously, some people might want it, but it has to be objectively beneficial for her. It's not because some people 
um, or perhaps many many women would prefer to stay married in such a scenario, even though it's not going well. Similarly, we have various statements that are similar to this. Abay Amar, Gavra Kursaya Ramula. He says that one whose husband is these are different expressions. When his husband is small as an ant, she still places her seat amongst the noblemen. Meaning, though, even though her her husband is very small, she still feels very proud to be married, uh, to be married, and to be in that situation. Repapa Amar similarly, Repapa says the Gavra, If her husband is has a lowly occupation, still tikri besipe bava visesev. She still calls him to sit with her. Uh, towards the entrance of their house to show how she's a married woman, that she's proud of the fact, even though uh, it's a lowly occupation and they may be embarrassed about it. No, she's proud to be a married woman. And similarly, Rav Ashi Amar, Rav Ashi says, One whose husband sells cabbage heads, does not, the phrase is, does not require lentils for her pot, meaning she's so happy uh, that she's married that she doesn't even care if he's not able to provide for her. She's not able to provide for her, but still she's happy that she's married. And finally, the last statement here is of Tana, it's others who say, the The reason why some of these women like to stay married is not because they feel proud to be with their husbands, that they're, that they're not alone, but it's, uh, it's so that as long as they're married, they're allowed to commit adultery um, and attribute the children to their husbands. So if they're single, so then they can't commit adultery because if they become pregnant, so then they can see, everyone sees that uh, they became pregnant in sin. But if they stay married, so then she would always claim that it was the husband who's the father, and so it allows them to commit adultery. So because of all these different reasons and all these different phrases, we say at the end of the day, you cannot give a divorce document to somebody else to accept it on her behalf because maybe she really doesn't want it. It only works if it's something objectively something that she wants, it's clear that it's not something which is objectively, even though there's a lot of fighting, um, it's not something which objectively ever, people would agree to that this is something which is beneficial for, uh, for the wife. Okay, Hajj and Isha we completed this chapter, this parak, and we have one last parak left in all of Yavamos. We are heading towards the very end of this parak.